Hello from Hollywood, and welcome to The Greatest Show on Grass podcast. I'm your host and ringmaster, Joshua Newman. The Greatest Show on Grass explores the past, present, and future of the recently reborn Los Angeles Rams. How many of us remember the legendary Kenny Washington, who broke the NFL's color barrier in 1946, signing with the Los Angeles Rams the year before Jackie Robinson played for the Brooklyn Dodgers? This week, I spoke to two of the most important caretakers of Kenny Washington's legacy in my garage slash Ram cave. His grandson, Kirk Washington, a former farmhand with the Chicago Cubs, who now lives in Whittier with his wife and two boys, and Stephen Serinana Lamson, president of the Kenny Washington Stadium Foundation. <laughs> a lot of even diehard football fans uh, don't know the story of uh, frequently, they don't even know the story of Kenny Washington. When you meet someone who doesn't know about Kenny or his his legacy, uh, how, how do you describe it? You know, it's really, um, it's, it's, it's a very intriguing thing to get into the fact that you're talking about the gentleman that broke the color barrier in the NFL that was kind of an unwritten, unspoken little taboo that was happening and then when you, you know you begin to think of the things that he accomplished in his life you know a lot of people will say well he only played for three years but before that three years he had a seven-year professional career he essentially brought ucla football to the forefront and and is considered a, a bruin legend and then of course you know what he did at lincoln high school to me personally is, is very important because he really was lincoln heights you know favorite son um, wow, that's, that's a tough one to follow. But um, interestingly enough, I mean, for me, uh, you know, growing up in a family where, you know, I was, you know, I was just a kid and and not really uh, understanding, you know, what, you know, the, the big impact was because, you know, he's part of our family. And then as I, you know, as I got older, I would actually get approached by different people of his era that, you know, knew of him or heard of him. Um, Did you get a chance to know him? Yeah, it was well. I was I was seven years old when he passed, okay. so um, I do remember you know some things you know that that uh, that we you know that I got to you know visit and things like that. But I always remember he was he was always very warm. Um, he was uh, he was just somebody that that obviously he he, he was you know he's good to his his family. But I also think that um, a lot of people feel like you know. It's like you know, Steve said. It, it, you know, here's a guy that played only for three years in the NFL, but you know, obviously had a prolific career. You know, prior to that, and plus, um, the the big thing was was that you know it wasn't by his own doing. I mean, of course, you know, he just didn't get the opportunity, and, and you know, and I think for what he went through prior to that, I mean, you know, he had several knee surgeries and things like that. So, I don't. I look at it like you know, people. Who bring him up to this day? I'm actually really quite surprised, and actually, you know, I'm I'm actually just really honored. Our whole family is out, as a matter of fact, is really honored that this is still a relevant conversation. Stephen, can you talk about how the Kenny Washington Foundation started and what 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 you guys are up to? So when the foundation began back in 2010, um, we thought, okay, so what what are we going to do? And the concept came to have a Kenny Washington Memorial Game. And we really thought at the time it was going to be like a one-up kind of a thing. And, you know, how could we make it special? And we came up with the concept of having a throwback jersey. And we were going to have our kids go out on the field in the 1935 jersey that Kenny Washington wore 
when the Tigers won their only undisputed city championship. And here we are, six years later, not, we had no clue that it was going to carry on. It was the first time in California history that a high school had taken the field in the throwback jersey. And now we're doing it for the sixth time. Um, and every year we do a throwback experience because that's in, in, in Kenny's memory, Kenny's legacy. It's become an extremely popular thing. Other schools have kind of followed suit. Um, but the Kenny Washington game, really, we tell everyone it's a night to come home. And it's the highest attended game every year at Lincoln High School. It, it, its revenue goes directly to the school and pays for the football program for the year in that one night. And it gives us a chance to honor and recognize folks. Um, it's, it's been wonderful to have the Washingtons involved from the get-go. Um, they're always there. And, and When we got to that first game, I, I was blown away. I mean, seriously, I mean, I was literally blown away. I mean, I did not expect the, the uh, just the everybody, the way they came together for this community, uh, how well we were, you know, our family was received. Um, it was, uh, it wasn't any, I couldn't have even pictured it to be that way. I, I, it was totally, it was really something. And, and as he said, as the years have gone on, every year we go and, and I'm always just really still blown away that still people are still honoring this way. Not all of our uh, listeners are from Los Angeles. They're not even all from California. Could you, Stephen, could you talk a little bit about the Lincoln Heights neighborhood, um, particularly the Lincoln Heights that Kenny grew up in? Lincoln Heights was the first community, first neighborhood of the city of L.A., and it was just across the river. If you know Los Angeles proper, there's the L.A. River, and across from what was be the central part of the city was Lincoln Heights. At the time, it was called the it was East Los Angeles, and it was the original East Los Angeles, and it wasn't until like 20s that it became Lincoln Heights. But the Washington family was one of the first African-American families to move into the community. Prior to the turn of the century, the, the community was considered a real kind of a upper, upper middle class, upper class community. And you had folks that essentially didn't want to live in like the, the riffraff of, of the central part of the city. The transition happened at the turn of the century with, you know, the bringing of the railroads to the neighborhood. Um, there was a, an idea at one time to have the terminus of the Southern Pacific in Lincoln Heights. And the Washington family, interestingly enough, kind of connected with the Capra family in the Chinatown area. So prior to them moving to Lincoln Heights, the Capra family and the Washington family developed this really kind of tight-knit relationship together, jointly. They moved to Lincoln Heights, albeit probably, I don't know, half a block away from each other. So Frank Capra's family was very much connected with the Washington family and the Washington legacy. And so when they came to Lincoln Heights after the turn of the century, again, they were some of the first African-Americans to live in Lincoln Heights. And Kenny's uncle, Uncle, uncle Rocky, or Roscoe Washington, was one of the first African-American graduates from Lincoln High School. He was also an athlete. He played on the baseball team, played on the football team, and he graduated in 1920. And his uncle... Uh, Roscoe was uh, critical to Kenny's development. Absolutely, yeah. Um, partially because of Kenny's father, who was a eccentric character, yeah. <laughs> to, to say the least. Very much so. Yeah, he was very nomadic. Um, and his, both him and uh, my, my great grandmother, his mother, uh, uh, she they they were very young. Uh, they were teenagers, and uh, they you know just like young teenagers, they wanted to rather go out and have a party and do all these other stuff rather than, you know, make sure that they take care of a child. And so uh, my Uncle Rocky was very, um, he, was, he was extremely principled and responsible. And 
and uh, and then this is kind of man he was. He just took my grandfather under his wing, and and essentially he you know became his father figure throughout his a lot his life, and you know because he didn't have children of his own, um, so he basically uh, did that for 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 my grandfather, and and uh, thank goodness because I don't know where my grandfather would have been without him. I feel like the Return of the Rams forces us in a way to confront the, Kenny's memory because the original move of the Rams 70 years earlier mm-hmm. was directly connected with Kenny's breaking the color barrier. The Rams arrived, really want to play in the Coliseum and the Coliseum Commission uh, with the assistance of some, some black sports writers puts pressure on the Rams to sign this homegrown hero, Kenny Washington. Do you feel a, a, a renewed sense of interest around Kenny with the Rams' return, or is it just something that it's, it's been gathering slowly? I think it's been gathering some steam. And, and you know, the Alex Wolf piece in Sports Illustrated was kind of the start of it all. When the foundation started, you know, we did our due diligence and we did our, our, our searching on Google and what have you, and there really wasn't a whole lot about Kenny Washington on Google back in 2010, you know? And we've come to the point now where Kenny has been passed along to Lincoln High School students, and he's talked about, you know, as if he's a known figure to these kids, the current athletes at Lincoln. But secondarily, you know, the foundation receives emails and calls from kids and, and, and teachers from across the country um, of, of, of projects that are being done during Black History Month and, and, and kids wanting to work on, on different projects regarding Kenny Washington. Uh, there was a play that was held at the St. Louis Museum on Kenny and Woody. I mean, there's just so many different things that have been happening over the that last group few of years. Fifth graders, and, with- yeah, and Johnson City, New York. You know, we love you guys. That, mm-hmm. you know, Liza Turner and her fifth grade class have done something that I think is just unbelievable. And uh, one of her students decided he wanted to do a Black History Month project on Kenny Washington. That transitioned into an online petition to get Kenny Washington to the Hall of Fame. As we sit here now, there's over 10,000 online signatures. I mean, these are kids in Johnson City, New York. It's on change.org, so you guys can vote. Yeah, I think we're trying yeah, to get to yeah. 15,000. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But, but, it, you know, but again, I think from, from, from my chair at least, I mean, over the last four or five years, I think there is a renewed energy in the narrative Kenny Washington has, has brought to the table. I think there's a renewed interest in, in who he was in regards to being probably one of the most popular athletes in mid-century Los Angeles. And with the Rams back, you know, we're really optimistic to be able to connect with them and and really see his legacy taken to that next level here in Los Angeles. And, of course, ultimately, we hope at, at the Hall of Fame. Why do we know Jackie Robinson's name and not Kenny Washington's name? Uh, I think uh, baseball was the number one sport in the United States. I mean, you know, so here here's Jackie Robinson, and rightfully so. I mean, here's a guy that obviously, you know, went out and, and, and pretty much you know, changed the face of, of, of the sport itself. Obviously, football kind of took a back seat during that time, especially the NFL, given the, given the way that the NFL was at that time. So um, I, don't, I think that it just had to do with the popularity of the game. And so I think that, that had a big, big, big part of it. I think it is shameful. I think it is beyond belief that Kenny is not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame when you consider that he's in the College Football Hall of Fame, the National Football Foundation Hall of Fame, he has a bust at the Los Angeles Coliseum Court of Honor. He's in the LA Unified School District Sports Hall of Fame. And he's in the American Football Association Hall of Fame. I don't get it. 
A lot of us don't get it. But hopefully this energy that's been started by the Johnson City, New York kids will will take us to the next level. And, and, and I think we need to make sports writers that are on that committee aware of Kenny's legacy. When you talk about his on-the-field legacy and you're describing it to people, is there a contemporary uh, football player who you, you're reminded of or that you imagine um, you know, doing things on the football field that Kenny used to do? Oh, wow. Um, because back then they were pretty versatile. I mean, you know, obviously he, you know, now that they, they the way that they do the, uh, it was like they call the single wing back then. Right. And so, you know, the, he, you know, throw the ball, pass the ball, run the ball, you know, kind of like, you know, the, uh, with a wildcat that they call now, except right. they just run the ball. But pretty much, um, you know, I, I, I would imagine that there aren't, too many players that are were skilled like that because not only did he play on offense, he played on defense That's too. True. So, um, so I mean, it's just and you know they and and with, I think he kicked too. Yeah, but he, they didn't let him or something. Yeah, like he could do it all, and yeah. and that's the thing. I mean, so and with inferior equipment, equipment too, no face mask and anything like that. So, you know, they they got pretty beat up, you know, for and which I think maybe contributed to maybe premature death for for him, but. You know, I digress. The thing is, is that I think that for 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 today's player, you know, there's got a lot of great athletes, but I don't think that they probably were as prolific in terms of being able to pass and throw and do the things that he was able to do. I think, I, you know, the only person that I, I always the reason I ask is because I want you to say Cam Newton, yeah. because I, I, you know, I just <laughs> yeah. everything I hear about Kenny and I haven't seen a lot of footage, uh, but everything I read about him and when I talk to people who saw him play. The only person that comes to mind is Cam. It's the, you know, being able to throw the ball 60 yards, 70 yards accurately down the field. And but also having this real physical ability to break tackles, to run the ball, to turn the corner, the stiff arm, the crazy stiff arm. Yeah, Um, that that's really the and I think part of the challenge, I think, of describing Kenny's legacy is the fact that, you know, this single win wing, single winning offense doesn't exist anymore a lot of people even some of the stories i've read on kenny describe him as a running back yeah he wasn't quite a running back um he, he wasn't was a, quite a quarterback either but he was he was a decision maker he was a superior athlete he was a brutal runner yeah. um um but maybe I digress. <laughs> well, you know, and, and I think the important point of all of this is I, I've had conversations with, you know, friends, Adam Rank from NFL.com and Mike McKnight from Sports Illustrated and Jared Bell um, from USA Today. And we've all agreed that to, Kenny could play today. Kenny Washington could suit up with any team in the NFL today and contribute and play and be successful. When you look at his skill set, I mean, you know, back then, I mean, you look at the footage, the archival footage of back in the day. Um, even in the film Forgotten Four, which was produced a year and a half ago, the, Kenny was the rock star in that film. Yeah. He stood out. He just you Forgotten saw this. Four tells the story of not just Kenny Washington, mm-hmm. but Woody Strode, who was Kenny's pal right. at, oh, yeah. at UCLA <laughs> and a great football player in his own right. But essentially, Kenny needed a roommate when right. he went on the road. Um, and there was the feel, and sort of similar thing happened on the Browns with. Um, Marion Motley and Bill Willis. Bill right. Willis coming in, needing 
uh, someone later later that year. Right. Um, but um, yeah, what you were saying, sorry. No, I, I again, I just uh, I think it's important to understand that you know even though you know Kenny played professional football in the late '40s, he would be a valuable component of an NFL team today. There's just no doubt about that. We talk a lot about you know comparing him breaking the color barrier in pro football versus Jackie Robinson. A lot of people say, well, pro football's color barrier was only a couple less than a couple of decades. Much more dramatic in Major League Baseball, where it had been a de facto uh, rule since the late 19th century. Um, Jackie, Jackie, a lot of Jackie and Kenny comparisons, and it's also interesting. We should mention Jackie and Kenny played together at UCLA. <laughs> they overlapped. They played in the same backfield. Very different kinds of players. They also played baseball together. Mm-hmm. Um, Kenny was, by all counts, a superior baseball player to, to Jackie Robinson. Which a lot of people would argue was his better sport. Yes. Uh, so it's interesting. When you look at like their batting averages, Kenny's batting average was higher than Jackie's at UCLA. And there's a story that, that has been documented of Leo DeRocher wanting Kenny to go to Puerto Rico and spend a year hmm. and then come back and play Major League Baseball as a Puerto Rican. And in essence, he would have been the one that would have broken the color barrier. So DeRocher would have been managing the Giants at that point? Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Kenny refused. Do you know what year year that would have been? I have it in my, I have it in my research. Okay. um, But I, and I'll make sure I get it to you. Okay. Uh, But DeRocher, DeRocher made this thing said, look, you know, go down to Puerto Rico and I'll bring you back as a Puerto Rican and you can play major league baseball. And Kenny being a man of principle said, no, I'm an American. And if I can't make it with who I am and what I am, then I'm going to just move on and play football. An amazing story when you think about it. it. We could be talking about Kenny Washington as the guy that broke the color barrier in baseball, if not for his principles and if not for his his sense of who he was. In terms of who he was, talk about very different personalities, Jackie and Kenny. From what you've heard, um, what you understand, what was Kenny's personality like? He was he was a very serious, intense kind of guy. I mean, you know, I think that it was it was very evident, obviously, especially when I hear my dad tell about a lot of the things him growing up. My uh, my grandfather was very very hard on my dad, and so he was, uh, and he pulled no punches with him, and he expected not only him to excel on the athletic field, but he also expected him to excel in the classroom, and and I think that uh, and he rode my dad every day that he probably could walk about all these things. And I think that that, so my grandfather always felt like, look, if you're going to go out and do something, you're going to do, do it to the best of your ability. I think he always had pride in, in, in how he approached everything. Um, he didn't want to be an embarrassment. He didn't want you know us to be embarrassment. He wanted us to be educated. He wanted us to make sure that we, uh, you know, you, if you go out on the, in the athletic field, you, you leave it there and you do everything you can. Jackie uh, not only uh, claimed that Kenny was the best football player he ever saw, but he also he he said at one point that Kenny lived with a deep hurt, mm-hmm. um, yeah. um, that he never achieved the national status mm-hmm. that someone with comparable talents mm-hmm. would would have. Um, but, you know, let's, let's talk about that for a second, yeah. because I, I think it's important to understand, you know, Kenny Washington at UCLA, his senior year, 
was literally the best football player in America. No doubt. I mean, you look at it, you look at the statistics. I mean, you look at any by any means of comparison, he was the best football player in America in 1939 when he graduated. He was the first UCLA Bruin to be an All-American. He was selected by Liberty Magazine to be the back of the year for the U.S. Liberty Magazine's All-American team, which was voted on by the players themselves, yeah. Kenny received 664 votes out of 664 votes. I mean, think about that. Every player he played against voted for him to be on that team. The other thing which is interesting is that he was he received the Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Award for the Outstanding Player in the Nation. Yes. You know, you got to remember the Heisman was only like three, four, five years old at the time. And so to receive that award and be recognized. So here you have a guy that comes out of college, six foot three, probably, I don't know, 205, 210 pounds. I mean, you know, in his senior year at UCLA, he played, what, 580 out of 600 minutes, you know, both ways. It was out of, it was out of the game for 10 minutes the entire season, okay? And he couldn't go to the NFL because of the color of his skin. Let me stop and think about that for a sec. He could not participate at the highest level of his chosen endeavor because of the color of his skin. Every, every African-American in the NFL today owes it back to Kenny Washington. Every, every NFL player in the Hall of Fame owes it back to Kenny Washington because he is the one that, that crossed that threshold and made it possible in the modern era for the African-American athlete to be in the NFL. Bob Waterfield was quoted as saying even if he had, if Kenny Washington was able to play when George Hallis wanted to sign him, he said he probably would have been the best they, that the NFL had ever seen. So, so much bad, you know, it's funny when I look at his number 13, I just think of so much bad luck, the knee, the bad luck of the knees, right. the when he was born, the, uh, the uh, ban on blacks in the NFL, obviously. I mean, just uh, any other era. Yeah. Um, it's understandable why, why, why he would live with, with such kind of hurt. Sure. But he overcame all those challenges. You mentioned Waterfield. Um, uh, Woody Strode has this great story in, in his uh, in his biography about um, Waterfield preparing Kenny for the Rams season in 46. Mm -hmm. If you don't know the Kenny Washington story, but know the Jackie Robinson story, Waterfield sort of plays the role of Pee Wee Reese in a way. (laughs) Um, Waterfield, um, Waterfield trains uh, Kenny at at, uh, at a racquetball court mm-hmm. at the at the police academy i right. believe um and i believe um your father kenny jr used to get kind of i believe he used to play with jane, jane russell, russell yeah. on the sidelines yeah. during practice yeah. <laughs> um, and was the envy of yeah, yeah all the other players who didn't get to play with Jane, Jane Russell. He, he, got to, he got to sit on her lap. Yeah. I mean, you know, talk about yeah. how lucky was that? Yeah. There's, a good, there's another story of um, uh, in the Rams' first road trip to Chicago where he and Strode weren't allowed to stay at the same mm-hmm. hotel as the rest of the team, so they went across town to a, a black hotel, and there's this uh, anecdote of uh, he and Strode, you know, deciding to, after they got kicked out of that first hotel, having a drink and and Cab Calloway was playing in, in the club beneath the hotel where they were staying, and uh, and Waterfield joins them for a drink just to just to see that they're okay. 
you know, Waterfield, of course, also, you know, another UCLA boy grew right. up, broke a lot of Kenny's records, but grew up idealizing uh, Kenny. So um, their relationship makes a ton of sense. Um, what about the Rams, Stephen? Do you have any reason to believe that the Rams are, are, are going to come to terms with um, the extent of his importance and his legacy? I think so. I, I think the Rams so far have displayed this this willingness to be a part of the community once again, um, you know, to embrace the community once again. We've reached out. Uh, we actually reached out like two years ago before the even before any of this relocation happened. You know, um, we have friends that are acting as intermediaries as we speak, as they say, you know, uh, because we think that this is a, a really important part of their legacy. When you think about the Rams as that team that 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 created the opportunity for Kenny to come to the NFL and play, you know, albeit at, as maybe 70 percent of his of his skill set intact. But it was the Rams that did that, you know, and, and they should be very proud of that. I have um, a conspiracy theory. So yeah. I am um, actually wow. about a dozen <laughs> years ago, I wrote a book on conspiracy theories. But um, my conspiracy theory is as follows. The Rams have retired uh, Marshall Falk's number. They've retired Isaac, Isaac Bruce's number. There's one uh, glaring omission. The quarterback of the greatest show on turf, Kurt Warner who wore number 13. Now, what if the team has been waiting to retire Kurt Warner's number 13 until they returned to Los Angeles so that they could co-honor Kenny Washington in his home city at the same time? It's funny you mention that because that's actually part of a conversation that we had at a board meeting a, a couple months ago was to say, listen, you know, um, both men wore that jersey number with great pride. They, they brought honor and dignity to the team, and, and I'd, we'd have no issue with that. I don't think that'd be a problem at all, you know? I mean, I think Kurt Warner is as um, deserving of having his number retired as is Kenny Washington. So, um, yeah, why not? <laughs> now, Kenny uh, has as significant a... Uh, place um, in Los Angeles as as any Ram in history um, that formally recognizes his his legacy. Could you could you talk about that and the role that the that the um, foundation had in bringing that? Sure, about? sure. Um, we are very very proud of Kenny Washington Square, and I guess you could make the argument it's the first Los Angeles Ram to have a square named after him in the city of L.A. And and this was a result of a lot of work. And the Kenny Washington Square was dedicated in 2014. It began seven years prior to that, before the foundation even existed. Uh, one of our board members, Ronnie, Ronnie Chico, had this idea and brought it to the councilman at the time and said, listen, we'd like to honor one of our own in the community here. And was sent through loops and hoops and hurdles and what have you, and it just kind of languished, you know, in, in, in paperwork and back and forth. So when the foundation was was formed and a change, a change in representation happened in our community, uh, we went to Councilmember Gilbert Cedillo and said, listen, we really want to do this. And his response was, let's do it. And that kind of got everything moving forward. You know, for us, that's just one, one little thing that we had a chance to get to, to do. And our next thing is to try to get a full-size bronze statue of Kenny Washington by August 
of, of 2018 at Lincoln High School's Kenny Washington Stadium. And that's something that's very important to us. We want Kenny to overlook the stadium that is named in his honor and is the place where he began his journey in life, if you will. Um, it's it's hallowed ground to a lot of us in Lincoln Heights. It's a very important thing. And, and uh, again, we, just, we have so many different little ideas and things that we toss around that... Uh, Promoting his legacy in an appropriate manner to us is just, just so important. So important. I'm thinking of the mo- <laughs> if there's a movie about Kenny Washington, what's the final scene? What's the or what's the like tear jerking moment where, wow, you really see what uh, what this man meant to this place? Well, I think there's two, and, and you know I can't pick between the two, but there's two, and one of them would be December 12th, 1948, which was Kenny Washington Day in the city of L.A. Uh, Mayor Fletcher Bowron called he, he he signed a proclamation to to create Kenny Washington Day on the on the day of his retirement from the NFL at halftime Kenny stood behind or stood before a, a crowd of 40 50,000 people to Coliseum received the accolades of the fans of his teammates his teammates gave him a gold watch he ended up with a car and I think one of the funniest gifts was from a team in Central California of African American kids that brought down a crate of lettuce to give to Kenny on his retirement which I thought was kind of funny um but that would be one day you know because man you got kobe got so much better yeah you know (laughs) but but of that day of that day one of the things was that prior prior to december 12th of 1948 he had connected with paul helms from the helms foundation and said listen i want to create a perpetual trophy for my high school and on that halftime presentation during the halftime presentation Kenny was presented the trophy, which has since been renamed the Kenny Washington Perpetual Trophy of Football Excellence. And it's been given every year at Lincoln High School from 1949 on. But the other day, and the other second day that I want to mention is, you know, when I think of Kenny and I think his journey and, and all the things that he had to go through and all those moments of despair and difficulty that he, he, he faced with such dignity and with such courage, I think back to November 2nd, 1947 at Comiskey Park in Chicago, 55 degrees midday, 10 minutes into the first quarter. Kenny gets the ball. Jukes left, jukes right, straight arms the safety as the safety comes up and starts on a run. 92 yards later, he runs 92 yards for a touchdown for the Rams, a record that stands today. It is the longest run from scrimmage by a Ram. And I think that in that end zone, Kenny must have thought, yeah, you know, I, this, this is what it was all about. To run 92 yards and, and stand there and think to himself, this, this is what it was all about. This is what the journey was all about. That, to me, would be how I would end the film. You know? <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. You know, one of the things in doing the research on Kenny and getting to know his story, if you will, that it just amazes me is when you think about the press in mid-century Los Angeles. You know, he and Jackie Robinson in the backfield for UCLA being called the Gold Dust Twins. And I thought, wow, that's so cool. You know, blue and, blue and gold, and they're being called the Gold Dust Twins. Until I did the research and looked up what Gold Dust, the logo was, with these very, very offensive African-American babies that have every stereotypical checkbox you could possibly have. And I thought, my God, this, this, no. You know, even the name Kingfish, 
which mm-hmm. Kenny was given when he was a Ram, which when you think about the Amos and Andy uh, radio show and then later television show. So, I, you know, I, I kind of, you know, you think about the times that we live in now and, and the times he lived in. And, and again, when you think of, talk about some of the things he had to endure, it wasn't just the physical things he had to go through. You know, being characterized as he was by the press sometimes in, in a manner that, say, is less than professional. I think back to the time when the Rams played the Washington Redskins and there was a play where Kenny had carried the ball and he got piled on by the Redskin players where one of them actually grabbed the chalk and rubbed it in Kenny's face. And here comes Bob Waterfield, here comes the other Rams to, you know, in, in essence, start a fight and, and break this up, you know. And, and here's Kenny, um, a proud strong African-American man with white chalk on his face that white players had rubbed on him during the course of a game. I can't begin to imagine what he had to endure. But to me, he will always be a heroic figure with a heroic story that ended too soon. Yeah, it's heroic and it's tragic. Absolutely. Um, he was very much, he was a very principled man that I really wish that I, I was, I got a chance to grow up with, but it was, but I did hear a lot of wonderful things about him and, and I, even my college coach played against him. So hmm. uh, when I was in college, he used to talk about him all the time and, wow. and uh, say that, you know, cause he went to manual arts. And uh, he used to say, yeah, I said, oh, I remember your grandfather, you know, he had those knees and those knock knees and just, you know, they hurt when he hit you in the head and stuff like that. So it was and always great to tell stories. But in my four years in college, he probably I don't even think he called me by my first name. Maybe, maybe, maybe once, but through my four years, he would always call me Kenny mm-hmm. <laughs> all the time. So. <laughs> And I, I, you know, I'm, the story, it's not a, I don't want this to end on a dire note because in a, although Kenny's life is over, his legacy is far from over. Right. I feel like between what, um, what the foundation is doing, especially what the foundation is doing, what communities are doing across America to keep his, to have his memory officially uh, recognized. And you know what? If Todd Gurley busts the 93-yarder next year, <laughs> that's an opportunity Absolutely. to tell the story of Kenny Washington. And if the Rams do decide to retire Kurt Warner's number, that's an opportunity um, to tell Kenny's story. I think the best is yet to come. And you know what? When we have a board meeting, that's pretty much how we always end it. The best is yet to come because we're, again, I, you know, so committed to seeing this through. And you know what? We don't know what the destination is, but we know what the path is. And that's just really important to us. And and Kenny Washington means so much to Lincoln Heights, to UCLA football, to the Rams legacy, and I think the, the history of Los Angeles. In our final segment, which we call Film Study, we dissect an episode or scene from a film or TV show that prominently features Los Angeles Rams. 
Thankfully, there are thousands to choose from, many of which we've chronicled on our Greatest Show on Grass Tumblr. Kenny Washington was 27 years old when he made history, signing with the Rams in March of 1946. But as Dick Hyland wrote in the Los Angeles Times, quote, Washington has become a beaten-up ball player. He has a trick leg and has lost just enough of his speed to enable tacklers who would have missed him or run into his murderous straight arm when he was at his best to handle him with punishing tackles. Despite not being what he once was, Washington still somehow managed to distinguish himself in a loaded Rams backfield, consisting of Bob Waterfield, Jim Hardy, and Indian Jack Jacobs at quarterback, and Tom Harmon, Fred Gerke, and Bob Hoffman at halfback. During his three seasons with the Rams, he averaged 6.1 yards per carry, and in 1947 set the franchise record for the longest run from scrimmage, 92 yards. But Washington knew he was a shadow of what he once was. Quote, Hell, even a half step slower is fatal, he was said to have observed. Like so many Los Angeles Rams greats, Kenny Washington parlayed on-the-field fame into big-screen fame, which in turn frequently provided an apt commentary on on-the-field fame. Washington only did 10 films, but one of them, 1949's Pinky, speaks pointedly to his individual legacy. Pinky, the story of a light-skinned young black woman who passes for white, was an early and notable attempt by Hollywood to confront racism, and today we'll be discussing how the struggles of its titular character reflected Washington's own struggles during his football career. Washington grew up understanding the power of celebrity. His father, Edgar, nicknamed Blue by childhood friend Frank Capra, played on two of the greatest teams in Negro League history as a pitcher on Rube Foster's Chicago American Giants and first baseman with the famed Kansas City Monarchs. But he left an even greater mark on Hollywood. Credited as Edgar Blue in his films, Kenny's father became one of the most successful African-American actors of the silent film era. Blue acted in several classics. The first ever epic and highest-grossing silent film of its era, The Birth of a Nation in 1915, King Kong in 1933, and Gone with the Wind in 1939. He acted alongside Wallace Beery, Louise Brooks, Bing Crosby, Bob Hope, Dorothy L'Amour, Vivian Lee, and Harold Lloyd, and played John Wayne's sidekick in Haunted Gold. Edgar married 16-year-old Marion Lennon, who gave birth to son Kenneth Stanley Washington on August 31, 1918. But the credit for raising Kenny belonged to his uncle Rocky and Aunt Hazel. Edgar's younger brother, Roscoe Rocky Washington, was the first black lieutenant on the Los Angeles Police Department, and his wife Hazel was the wardrobe mistress of Ginger Rogers, Greta Garbo, and Rosalind Russell not to mention the first licensed hairdresser to do black hair for the studios, earning her a spot on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So between his father and his aunt, Kenny likely didn't feel terribly out of place in Hollywood circles. With the aid of famed comic actor and UCLA football booster Joey Brown, Washington and pal Woody Strode got their first up-close exposure to Hollywood on the Warner Brothers lot as men-in-waiting taking care of stars like Betty Davis, Jimmy Cagney, 
Anne Sheridan, Olivia de Havilland, Errol Flynn, and Jane Wyman, who is said to have cried from the stands during Washington's final game at UCLA. Washington's first film premiered in September of 1940, the month he would have been beginning his career in the NFL were it not for the NFL's color barrier. While Thousand's Cheer was a transparent attempt to bank on Washington's popularity, particularly within the black community, Washington played Kenny Harrington in a story about the underworld's efforts to corrupt college football. The film seemed to have an okay run and was twice re-released, once in theaters and once for television, but it didn't get anywhere near the cultural impact that Pinky would have in 1949 when it was 20th Century Fox's top-grossing film of the year. Now, in case you were wondering, Pinky was a colloquial term for a black person whose complexion was light enough to pass for white. And the film is ultimately about the psychological repercussions of doing so. It begins with Pinky Johnson, played by white actress Jean Crane, returning to her granny's house in the rural South, confused about her burgeoning relationship in Boston with her white doctor fiancé, Dr. Adams, played by William Lundigan. Granny works for a sick, elderly white woman named Miss M, played by Ethel Barrymore, Pinky ends up taken care of. Pressured by her fiancé to return to the North and commit to life there, things get complicated when Pinky meets Dr. Kennedy, played by Kenny Washington. Dr. Kennedy is a married man, but still he acts as a foil to Dr. Adams, appealing to a different part of Pinky's heart. Here's the scene outside Granny's house in which Pinky and Dr. Kennedy first meet. Johnson? I beg your pardon. You're Miss Pinky Johnson? Yes, sir. You're looking for me? I'm Dr. Kennedy from over in Leesburg. Oh, how did you talk to me? My wife and I heard you were here. We'd like you to come over to the house to dinner. Oh, it's if you'll just set the date, any night that's convenient. I'm on a case now, and after. After that, I'm going away. When you come back, then, your being here is the best news we had in a long time. We had some girls over in Leesburg, high school graduates, but no chance for regular training. With your help, we can set up a real nursing school. I'm sorry, but I'm afraid it's out of the question. You Excuse see... me. How are you and your family these days, Doctor? Fine, thank you, Aunt Daisy. You see, I... I'm not planning to come back. I see. I have never been north. I took my MD at Meharry. I was tempted to go, of course, but I felt my job was here. These girls I was telling you about, it's going to be kind of hard to disappoint them. I'm sorry, but my plans are all made. Well, good luck to you, Miss Johnson. Pinky resists Dr. Kennedy's invitation, but grows more and more entrenched in Granny's black community. When Miss M passes away, she bequeaths her estate to Pinky, setting off a legal battle with Miss M's family that Pinky eventually wins in court. Tugged in opposite directions by the white and black worlds, Pinky rejects Dr. Adams' marriage proposal, opting to stay in the South and live in the black community. She decides to turn Miss M's estate into a nursing home and school for black children, where she plans to work as a nurse. 
Lena Horne initially campaigned to play the title role in Pinky, but in the end, the movie studio felt white American audiences would feel more comfortable with a white actress and probably wanted to avoid getting into hoopla that might have ensued from actual interracial love scenes. But it would have been a much more interesting film with Horn. The character's ability to live freely in the white world would have seemed that much more dramatic and ultimately tragic when Pinky was forced to decide who she is and who she wanted to be. The story of Pinky was also the story of Horn's own struggles establishing herself as a truly modern black actress, struggles that only worsened when she was denied Pinky's title role. Sorry if this stuff about Lena Horn feels like a detour, but it would have been fascinating to watch Washington and Horn interact with one another on the screen. After all, Horn's career on screen and Washington's career on the field had tons in common. Both attempted to proudly retain their black identities and still flourish within white America. Both also struggled. Blacks accused each of being sellouts and not being true to their roots, and whites only grudgingly, if at all, treated them as equals. It seems almost too good to be true that the black gossip magazine Tan claimed that the two actually dated back in the day. That isn't to suggest that Horn and Washington dealt with racism the same way. Horn became active in the civil rights struggle and surrounded herself with people engaged in radical politics. Washington preferred surrounding himself with people who cared for who he was, not who he wasn't. While Jackie Robinson was speaking at NAACP rallies and raising such issues as school integration, Kenny was sitting on the bench at football games at his old Lincoln High School. In 1959, he competed on What's My Line in front of Groucho Marx. Here he is bantering with Groucho. Do you still insist that women are the weaker sex? Well, Groucho, I never insist that women were the weaker sex. I'm married and I know better. As soon as they marry, they all turn chicken. You say you're married, huh? Yes, I am, Groucho. Mm -hmm. Would you have rather taken a baseball? Well, I don't know. I've been pretty happily married. I've been married going in my 19th year. Well, that's longer than you were playing football. Yes, it is. One year, so I'd be dead already. Yeah. It's a joke that couldn't be made prior to 1947 when Jackie Robinson broke baseball's color barrier. And it's ostensibly about marriage and all of the energy it takes to keep a marriage going. Groucho, I think, is trying to be provocative when he suggests that Kenny could have learned to become a baseball star in all that time he put into staying married. The irony, of course, being that Jackie Robinson himself claimed that Washington already might have been the best baseball player he ever saw. Kenny Washington is a study in what might have been. What might have been if he was born in another era? What might have been if he had never hurt his knees? What might have been if he had chosen baseball over football? Though he will always be known as a gridiron star before an actor, watching Kenny and Pinky or his other nine films points to one of the sad ironies of his life, that he experienced more freedom on screen in Hollywood than on the field in the NFL. Kenny Washington died in June of 1971 at the age of 52 as a result of heart and lung problems. His memory 
seemingly vanishing with him. Like Pinky, who gets attacked at one point in the film, Kenny's attempt to straddle the white and black worlds in the NFL was also met with violence and cruelty. But Washington the man and Pinky the character also shared something else in common, hope. Each had a quiet confidence that they were accomplishing something that was pushing the world forward. Neither were completely free, but both were able to rest on the knowledge that their work as a nurse in Mississippi or a football player in California would leave the next generation better off. Thank you for listening to The Greatest Show on Grass podcast. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and spread the word to friends who enjoy football, Hollywood history, and of course, the Los Angeles Rams. Since he went away, the blues walked in and met me. If he stays away, oh, rock and chair will get me. Oh, all I do is pray the Lord above.